This was like watching the pilot episode of a new world in a series of Snow White. And yeah. all you're getting is the pilot show. So well, they have to cram and, and you know it all what? in. Except, and except at the end they defeated the queen. You know what? This would have made a great miniseries. Exactly. It would have made a great miniseries. This is Movie Bite, a show where we discuss, praise, lament, when sometimes we even lampoon movies, TV shows, culture, and more. The show is hosted by me, I'm TJ Draper, and I'm joined by my co-host, Joseph Darnell. How are you, Joseph? Hey, good evening, TJ. It's great to be back. Yes. I'm right. loving our show, man. You know what? I catch every episode on iTunes. Do I you? I take the time out of my busy week to download the thing on my iPhone using the latest software, and <laughs> I listen to that awesome show called... Uh, what's it again? Oh yeah, Movie Bite. Yeah, movie I bite, listen yes. to Movie Bite, and I catch the other little cookie that we have on iTunes. Oh, and are, I, we gonna, are we going to tell people about that? Do we want to let people know about that? Shh, no, we're not telling them. Okay, all right. Well, you... Shh. yeah, all but right. yeah, I just I love our <laughs> show, man. You know, like it's a weird thing when I was doing web shows, everything was a little stifled and condensed. In our show, we can just have a casual conversation. Like guys sitting in, you know, I don't know. Where would we sit? Do you watch sports? I do not. I can't stand sports. Because you'd never find us like sitting together in a ball at a ball game. Just no, chatting. perhaps a, perhaps a Starbucks, although I don't drink caffeine anymore. But in past no, days, I would still right. go there. I would order a decaf or something. Mm. Okay, maybe if you found us at the movies. Oh, that yeah. That's what Movie Bite is. We're just two guys sitting in the theater waiting for the movie to start. You know, one day, we don't we, we don't live that far away from each other. One day, we should go to a movie together sometime, somehow. Uh, yeah. Hey, hey, what do you, what do you think? We ought, to, we ought to just go ahead and declare some movie that we would see together. Okay. I'm, thinking, I'm thinking something like The Hobbit. Well, The Hobbit comes out at Christmas, though, and I'm going to be traveling this year. We, we alternate every other year. I'm, I go to my in-law's with my wife and then they come down here and this is our year to go up there. So we're going to be gone. Uh, Where are your in-laws? They're in Peoria, Illinois. Hmm. Uh, Well, I was going to say, if my in-laws happen to be up there at the same time, I might go up there and visit you and we could go to the movies together. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, (laughs) yeah, he's a trucker and you know, you never know where he's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, uh, why don't we dive in before we bore people with our meta conversation? (laughs) (sighs) Yes, we would. God forbid. (laughs) All right. So you want to ask me about bones. Yes, I do. I, I posted a review of the first episode of season eight. I've been a longtime Bones fan, so fire away. Okay, well, here's the thing about Bones. I'm a guy that sat down and watched episode one of season one, and I said to myself, wow, this is really entertaining and kind of offbeat in a good way. So Definitely. I catched episode number two, and then I was like, wow, this show is really offbeat. And I was like, I think I'll watch some more. And so I found myself watching all of Bones season one, and I caught half of two. But then around that time, I got married, and I could never get my wife into it into the show. So I, you know, pretty much anything that my wife isn't inter- interested in seeing, I went by the wayside. Uh, I catch a lot of movies without her, but if it's at home, you know, I kind of feel like, hey, you know what? This is time that I can spend with my wife. So Bones was one of those shows that went by the wayside. But I always wanted to return to it. And, you know, you're the only person I know that's, you know, seen all seasons, right? You've seen all I've seasons, I've seen right? every episode to date, yes. And pretty much in order. Oh, uh, yeah. Def- I've watched it as they've, as they've come out. 
And, uh, yeah, okay, so you're seeing it on television or on Hulu or something? On Hulu at this point, yes. I've done different things in the past, but Hulu, yes. Okay, so uh, there's many questions I, ha- I would have for you, but the first one is, why is MovieByte addressing TV shows? Well, I can tell you why I address TV shows on MovieByte, uh, and that is this. Um, I love TV shows almost as much. Maybe Okay, it might be fair to say I like them more than movies in some ways. Uh, I love the two-hour format. Do not get me wrong. I really love movies. And when I say two-hour format, I'm talking about, you know, the movie format. But that has advantages and disadvantages. Whereas TV shows, especially now, this didn't used to be the case, but especially now, what you get from TV shows is a very long arc over a season, usually, or even sometimes over multiple seasons, and I really love that. I love character development. I love the storytelling that that can afford, and when it's done well and done right, um, it can be really, really good. And, and you know, one of the first shows I, uh, I, I, one of the first shows I remember that started doing this was Deep Space Nine. Did you ever watch any Deep Space Nine? Uh, I cut a couple episodes, but then I quickly moved over to the Voyager. Okay, well, Voyager, eh, Voyager was a little more episodic, but they did have a long arc, and it's not quite the format that I enjoy as much. But it, they did have they 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 were pretty, uh, you know, arc over the whole show. Uh, but Deep Space Nine really got into that and and really created kind of the story that spanned the whole seven seasons, and mostly they really got into it in, in season three. But that and so that kind of caught my interest in that sort of format, and um, you know, Bones is not quite as much that way, but it still has a story that you can follow, a thread that you follow through the whole show. Whereas older shows, uh, I'm thinking in particular, since I'm a Star Trek fan of the original Star Trek series, they had no continuity from show to show, hardly ever. And so, anyway, that's that's a long explanation of telling you why I love TV shows. Um, and so I address them on Movie Byte because I, I don't personally see Movie Byte as just about the two-hour format movies. I see it as a mo- movie, to me, encompasses the whole thing. TV shows, movies, uh, to me, that it, it's all one, one type of art form with many different expressions. You know, one of the reasons I think that we cover television shows for Movie Byte is because of their influence on the movies and vice versa. Um, what you said is still stands. You know, our interest for movies carries over to te- over to television shows and vice versa. I know a lot of people though that prefer TV shows over movies simply because of the format. They they're not crazy about a a movie where they introduce characters that in two hours you're never going to see them again. Their story is going to be over. Right. Uh, well, there's nothing to continue the story. And I think that part of part of the reason why we're seeing more sequels is because people want more of that. I don't know. You know, the sequel format is not always done well, but when it is, it it works similarly to a TV show like that. Yeah, and so what we're seeing is steadily this progression where television looks more like the movies, and movies look more like television because now television is making these feature shows, you know, these limited miniseries where they pack in a lot of production value. And the the, the production values for tele, television shows are often equals with m- motion pictures, you know, theatrical releases. Yeah. Um, the special effects, even soundtracks sometimes. I'm thinking about TV shows like Lost and others that were produced by J.J. Uh, Abrams. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes the, the screenplay is just as thought-provoking and ultimately, it could lead to another movie. 
based or inspired by the television show. Well, I think we're certainly seeing a narrowing of that gap that used to exist, and that's kind of why I talked a little bit about the past of TV shows. There used to be a wide chasm between movies and TV shows and the production values, the, the approach to script writing, and all that stuff, and, and we're seeing more and more of a narrowing of that gap. And I yeah. think in a good way, I'm not talking about, although in some cases you could say this, but I'm not, I'm not particularly addressing the lessening of a quality of a movie down to the TV level. I'm really talking about bringing TV up to those same standards in terms of script writing, in terms of story, in terms of a lot of, you know, soundtrack, as you said. Um, certainly, yes, definitely. You know, uh, another, and, go, oh, go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry, go well, ahead. I was going to say that one of the other unique uh, traits about um, the movies these days is that they they get their inspiration from anything and so do television shows oftentimes a uh, a television show is uh brought about because of a series of you know young adult fiction novels and then a movie series like twilight is brought about by a series of young adult fiction novels so naturally audiences are going to compare the movies of twilight to something like the vampire diaries television show Mm, which I have and, not seen. Uh, have you seen? My wife watches it, and I can't really get into it, <laughs> but it's not because it's necessarily poor entertainment. It's just something I can't gravitate towards. Okay. I can't get into it. And mainly because there's only so much room in my heart for a vampire lore, you know? <laughs> and I, I've got that I... set aside for something other than the Vampire Diaries. Yeah, I don't know. It kind of concerns me sometimes, but I don't mind the vampire stories. Like, I wonder if I should be concerned about myself, but I, I don't mind them if they're done well. Uh, I certainly uh, enjoyed many aspects of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and and that sort of thing. So if it if, if it's done well, and and if it's you know if it's not glorifying vampires, which Buffy certainly never did. It you know you were never you were always aware that vampires were evil. <laughs> um, I, I think it can be done well, but hmm. that's kind of a side note. Anyway. Okay, so here's my next question for you. Um, <laughs> as it relates to Bones, not just TV shows in general, uh, I, I, I mean this somewhat jokingly, but also seriously, too. Do people still watch this show? Are you unique? Are you one of the few fans in the world left? And is this show, as far as you're concerned, really still worth watching? Why would you say that it is still worth watching. Okay, so um, I, I'm not the only one that watches this show. I'm sorry I don't have the stats right in front of me, but I did just see them uh, right after the premiere. I can't remember exactly what they were, but it was a relatively high number for the season premiere of season eight. And uh, so it's, I'm not the only one that watches it. Um, as far as uh, the value of watching the show, I, I fell in love with the show in the first couple of seasons. It was a much more serious drama, and, and it is a procedural. I mean, it is, but, but it's not your typical CSI procedural. Um, and I, I, I really was drawn to the characters, and, and quite frankly, my wife started watching it first, and she's like, you know what, you would really enjoy this show, you should watch it. And so I, we went back to the beginning and started watching it, and uh, we really loved it. And towards towards the middle, um, some things started changing about the show. I don't know if they brought on new writers or if, or if they had a powwow and said, we've got to bring in, you know, we, we've got to have more comedic relief or, you know, w or lessening of drama or tension or whatever. But for, for several seasons, uh, it felt like the show became a lot less about drama and a lot more about comedy. They've never really lost the character interaction, but I, I've never been happy 
with the way that they went with the show. But it's still been interesting, and I certainly enjoy the character interaction. This season, uh, from what I hear, time will tell, we've only seen one episode, what I hear is they want to bring a little more seriousness back to the show, and I'm very happy about that. I don't, as much as anybody, I said this in my review, I like a little comedy in my drama. But Bones got way over the top for a while. And, you know, I, I would have taken, I would have wished for a lot less of it. So that's now, how I feel about the show currently. Now, this isn't a question that I thought to ask you before, but is Bones based on something? Is it based after a series? It of is some based sort? on a book by, uh, or, or a series of books by Kathy Reichs. Uh, oh, make sure okay. I'm saying that right. Kathy. I know Reichs. there's also the other television show that's similar in nature yes. called Castle. And I caught a couple episodes of Castle, and, you know, it's okay, but it wasn't quite what Bones was for me. Yeah. I think it was more of a personal preferential, you know, decision that if I ever could go back and watch one of those two series, I'd probably catch Bones, but that's just me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the show is still worth watching. I I think it's been dangerously close to the shark-infested waters of shark jumping territory, but uh, they haven't. They've not lost me, and I apparently have not lost a lot of other people because there's a lot of people that still watch it. And unfortunately, I think I I wish that they would end it after season eight. I wish they would bring it to a good, solid close because I I always look back more fondly on shows that do that. Uh, but I feel like what's going to happen is the producers are going to look at the money bags and say, oh, the show's still making money. We're just going to keep going. Uh, so. Well, now, you, now you're bringing up an interesting question, another one I had not considered. But do you think that there is a clear, definite end that could happen in the Bones series? Is there Are the characters actually going somewhere in the long run that you would like to see them come to? Well, the one thing that I really wanted to see happen has happened. Is it okay if I spoil this for you? You have Because you, you haven't been keeping Could, up with it? Uh, yeah. Okay. If you're talking about something that happened recently, I'll forget before I get to it. Okay. Well, I mean, it's a pretty big item. Uh, Booth and Brennan uh, are together now. Uh, and, and it's something that I think was always considered, like, I always thought the show would end with that. But they're moving on, and, and uh, you know, the way they did it, the reason that the characters actually finally got together, they were going to hold them apart for longer. Uh, and it's always been kind of, I think Booth has been in love with Brennan for a while, but, but Brennan didn't really get that. Uh, but what happened uh, in real life is Emily Deschanel, uh, who plays uh, Bones, Brennan, um, she got pregnant. And so the writer's like, oh, okay, well, we need to get this couple together. And so uh, <laughs> so, nice. that, so that they didn't have to hide uh, the baby bump and pretend like it wasn't there. And so they just, and, and so now Booth and Brennan actually have a kid on the show. And I've well, actually that, kind of enjoyed that. Well, that makes me beg the question. Did it seem forced at the time or did it look like they were ready to pull the trigger on it, that plot development? They did okay. They it seemed a little bit fast, but they did okay. Yeah. Um, I, can, I, yeah. I hate it when life you know <laughs> when life interrupts a, a television series or a movie production it yeah. happens a lot you know I, one classic example where life impacts a, a film or a movie show is uh with the case of the lord of the rings with uh sean austin or is it aston i think it's aston sean it's aston. aston yeah it always throws me off but anyway sean aston who played samwise gamgee the friend of Frodo Baggins that goes all the way to Mount Doom to throw away the ring. He, uh, the actor, Sam, uh, Sean, <laughs> yeah, Sean, Sam, 
Sean gained a lot of weight for that trilogy. And they shot most of the movie series all at one time. Uh huh. But quickly thereafter, he wanted to lose weight. Of course. <laughs> so, yeah. And he got fit as a fiddle. And then Peter Jackson said, oh, you know what? We need you to come back and reshoot some scenes and a few extra scenes. So at that point, Sean Astin returns with Elijah Wood, plays a few more scenes, but it was left up to the makeup artists and the costume designers to make him look like he was filled in like Samwise. Hmm. And, and it didn't it didn't work. At least ways it didn't work for me. Even no. when I saw the film originally and had not known what had happened, there were scenes cut together throughout the movies where mysteriously Sam Wise has lost a bunch of weight and then he puts it back on a moment later. I don't know that I ever noticed that. Yeah, at least ways it was noticeable to me around his waistline and also his cheeks were thinner. At well, yeah, times. The, the cheeks really, I mean, because you can do a lot about the body with, with, you know, stuff under the clothing and stuff, but the cheeks always give it away. Mm-hmm. So um, that's interesting. I'll have to watch for that the next time I feel like watching Lord of the Rings, which I should probably do before uh, the movie comes, the Hobbit comes out in theater. But hmm. in any event, we need to be uh, scooting right along. Yeah. So, uh, okay. So based on the production values of episode one of Bones, do you feel hopeful about the rest of the season? I do. I, I, uh, and like I said, I feel like there's a little bit of a refocusing from what, again, from the stuff that I've read online that Hart Hansen and some of the other guys have said that run the show, we want to, you know, bring a little more seriousness back to the show and that sort of thing. I'm, I'm hopeful for, for it for that reason. And again, I always enjoy the interaction between, uh, Agent Booth and, uh, Bones. And, uh, and I, I really have enjoyed watching, uh, Booth interact with his daughter on the show. Uh, so that's, that's you know, I'm looking forward to it. Now, something that I notice about television shows that last as long as eight seasons is that oftentimes, while the, the whole of the series is surely entertaining, and if you're a fan, you want to stick with it, which, you know, a lot of audiences don't care to, but I do. I want to see it to the end. If I'm if I'm sold on a television series through its third season, I really mean to see all of it, no matter how bad it gets. Yeah, um, I kind of feel the same way. Yeah. Although so, I have to admit, I did drop a show that I was determined to see through, no matter how bad it got. Oh yeah. If you want what to know what that? it is, CSI Miami. I've never been to any into any of the other CSIs. I just couldn't get into them. But CSI Miami was quite different from the other ones. Uh, I felt like anyway, and mm. it was a good show for a long time, but it really got hokey and cheesy and corny and stupid, and I finally gave up on it. I, I just dropped it, and I hear it's been canceled now. Well, another show, I didn't so much feel like it, its production quality dropped, but I felt like this show, which I really much, I very much loved, it, it, it when it got to about its fourth season, it became a parody of previous well, of itself. Mm. It didn't really feel like the show itself. It felt like they were just, uh, you know, like going through the motions and revisiting the same stories and plot lines. And they really weren't taking the story anywhere. And then they just give it a twist here and there to make it feel, you know, like they had created something new. When really they didn't. It was a parody. And it was like, oh, okay, here's a canned way that this character would respond in this situation given how we've developed him from previous seasons. That show was House. And oh, I can't stand that show. I, I'm, do I know it, you? I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. You do. <laughs> I watch House. 
<laughs> but the, when it got to about third season, it, it did this to itself. And then for a season or two, it really derailed itself. And now coming close to, you know, I, I, okay, I have not seen the final season yet. But the next to final season, I felt like it, it got back with it. It got back to its roots. So even though they kind of took the direction of the series in a way out I didn't care for, I still want to see it all the way through. And I know I'm biased, so I can't really recommend the show to anybody. But in my office, I have a full-size poster of Dr. House. Get out. I, I, that's the kind of fan I am. And oh, you, you know what's funny? You know what's funny? Is that it kind of looks like a portrait of Hugh Laurie, who plays House. It doesn't say anywhere on the poster that it is for that show. And I get a bunch of people that see that poster hanging up on my wall and they ask me, who is that? <laughs> and I'm like, really? If you don't, okay, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'm just going to toy with you. Oh, that's my uncle. That's my <laughs> uncle. And, and, and most of the time people believe me, dude. <laughs> well, unfortunately I know who Hugh Laurie is and that he's associated with that horrible TV show, but Anyway, but yeah, I'm sorry to derail there, but yeah, it's just uh, TV shows. Yeah. You gotta love them, hate them. And you gotta see them to the end. It's like who gets up in the middle of a movie at the theaters to walk out just because they didn't like the first half. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. You know what show really broke my heart? That was really, really, really good for, for the most part, uh, up until the last 20 minutes of the whole series. Uh, you know, you, you we've talked about this before. You know it. Last twenty minutes of the series were the worst television oh, I have Star ever Galactica? seen. Yes, absolutely, undeniably so. Yeah, I, I, I just and it, it, it was so. I mean, because it could have been the last twenty minutes made or broke the show, and it broke the show. And you're like, what? No, no. <sighs> you're like, no. You're watching your dreams go up in smoke. You know. I, I and and looking, I I know exactly how I'd fix the show, but hindsight's twenty twenty, you know. You know so. the way that uh, the villagers in the movie The Village by Sh- M Night Shyamalan feel about those that we do not speak of. That's the way I feel about the last twenty minutes of Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> it was that bad. Well, I I have a friend that was really into it, and he said, you know what, the it the show works just fine if you just cut it off, you just stop it at a certain point. He told me what that point was. I've forgotten now. But it's like, huh, I have to think about that if I ever... Because I, I probably will watch it again because I, I liked it so well for most of it. I mean, for all of it until... Well, there were a few moments in there that I was like, eh. But for, like I said, every show has that. But yeah, then that last definitely. 20 minutes just ruined the show completely and totally. Well, anyway, we should uh, we should move on. Oh, you have here, you want to know what the best season of Bones is? I don't know that I could tell you that. I don't know. Hmm. I, I, you're, I'll tell you're you that a critic. You're you're a you're a well, reviewer. But this is this is a show that I've watched for seven years now. I mean, uh, is it a show you never went back and revisited previous seasons? While you know we you know, started to, and, and then we, and then it's been like hit and miss. Like we'll start to, and it's like no, but we have other shows we want to watch, and so we never really do. So, mm. um, but I yeah. can tell you this: uh, whenever it was that Zach Addy was uh, um, removed from the show. Before that, I mean, because I love that character. I love Zach Addy, and they kind of ruined his character, and I was really irritated about that. I feel like the show probably hit its stride right before that. So, uh, you know, and I've enjoyed stuff since, don't get me wrong, but uh, first first season is great. Second season, I think, is really good. Uh, and again, I'm going off of pretty vague memories, but uh, mm. anyway, 
So, so it didn't follow the train, you know, the uh, the track record of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where it just got better and better and better. No, I wouldn't say it got better and better. I'm being sarcastic. Okay, <laughs> okay. I miss, I'm sorry, I missed that. This is the problem with the uh, can't can't see your face. So yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I I enjoyed all of Buffy, but it didn't get better. It 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 had its ups and downs. Let's put it that way. It felt a little more like a not not too bad, but a little bit like a roller coaster. Hmm. So mm, okay. Well, enough I, about TV shows yeah. and bones lying all over the place. When you talk about Snow White, yeah. And you, uh, you know you what? Know, yeah, go ahead. Um, I thought we were gonna have. <laughs> uh, I thought we were gonna have a guest for this episode. My brother-in-law really loves this uh, movie, and I invited him. I said, "Hey, you want to come be a guest on the show?" And he said, "Oh yeah, let me think about it." But then, as it turns out, he had um, something that he had to do tonight and was not going to be able to be with us, and uh, so unfortunate but hopefully he'll listen to this episode and he'll throw you know things at the set because he's not going to like what you have to say about it and he's probably not going to like what i have to say about it either because we like the movie for different reasons and he should be very sorry that he wasn't on the show yeah i told him come come defend yourself man but uh he was not able to be with us so that's unfortunate maybe we'll get him on another podcast sometime hmm yeah maybe what we do sometime is we you know maybe like for a much later episode down the road we could do something fun like have call-ins from various listeners and get their quick reviews on some movie that's going on get get a bunch of them you know know, something special like the 50th episode or the 150th episode who knows i would love that that'd be pretty fun because after all, who are we? We're just members of the audience here. And I, I think that that's one of the, some of the best review material you can find. Um, personally, I'm not crazy about gathering the critics' viewpoint of a movie because they're scrutinizing too much. They're too opinionated. And they've seen too much and they're desensitized. And they don't know how to relate to the same things that audiences do anymore. And they listen to each other. They are their own peers. So they lose connection with the audience and what the audience should think. Everybody comes at it with a different viewpoint. I know. And, you know, even amongst audiences, there's never a consensus, but I prefer to relate more to the reviews of just everyday people. And I, I I like to think of myself not as a critic, but as a member of the audience. Exactly. That's the way I feel too. Um, you know what's a great example of that happening? I know this is not a tech show, but you know, you and I are both Apple geeks, and we love our Apple tech. And we saw this sort of same thing with uh, the iPhone 5. The all, Every single journalist out there, save for a few that you and I probably really like, um, we're talking about how boring the iPhone 5 is, this announcement of the iPhone 5. For those in our audience who are not Apple geeks, Apple just announced an iPhone 5, uh, which is going to be coming out tomorrow. Uh, this is Thursday night when we're recording this, so by the time you listen to this, it will be out. Um, and if you didn't know that, you need to go home and get a life. <laughs> exactly. Or maybe we need to get lives. Anyway, but so the, all, all of the tech journalists and the pundits and everybody out there of this nature, the reviewers, the you know not the general audience, they're talking about how boring this phone is and how horrible and this and that, and they didn't change anything. And You know... Uh, Apple opened up the pre-order gates, and they have they took more pre-orders for this phone than any previous iPhone ever. And you, so that's the sort of chasm that I think you see too with those who review movies and are, are critics. It's the same sort of thing I think sometimes. Now you don't always see it. I mean, sometimes the critics and the audience agree, but you see this a lot. I see it a lot when I look up on uh, Rotten Tomatoes or something. You'll see the audience really loved a film, and the critics really hated it. 
or the critics really loved the film and the audience really hated it. And so there's sort of a disconnect there. It's that, that sort of disconnect. It's really bothersome. Well, I think that the biggest issue, you know, I know we're taking a rabbit trail here, but it, I think it's worth it's noting a, again. It's a good rabbit trail. Yeah. One of the bigger differences between critics and audiences, again, grant you, critics are a part of the audience. I know that. They're people too. But <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Uh, Okay, maybe the verdict's out on that. We audience members don't really know what's going on with critics and what their species are up to. But um, in general, the audience, as far as like a general, you know, sort of trend that you can see thanks to the internet, is that regular audience members tend to look at a movie for what they like about that film. And so their concentration is on was this movie entertaining? Did I get something out of it? I, you know, hadn't seen before in entertainment. Did I like the performances? You know, they're thinking like that. Whereas critics, they're looking at the glass half full and they're saying, what is there not to like about this film? Mm-hmm. And, you know, wh- why should I like this film? You know, that is, that is like their mantra and you can see it just eking out <laughs> in everything that they write. It's all about, well, this is the problem with this film. This is this is what how it's all its shortcomings. And then when and when they like a film, they like it because of a lack of shortcomings, not because it had something they genuinely liked apart from the fact that it had no shortcomings. Yeah, you know, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I know like, exactly weird. what you mean. Yes. Audience members, we're thinking of the glass half full; they're thinking of it half empty. Yeah. All right. All right. So Snow White that, and the Huntsman. Yes. And okay, so this will be an example where, although I'm a part of the audience with everybody else listening to our show, I'm going to take the position that Snow White is half full. Sorry, half empty. Oh, okay. Yeah. And you're taking it as half full. Uh, sure. Whatever you mean by that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I don't, I don't sorry. know quite how that Maybe relates. Maybe that to metaphor what? got lost. Yeah, I think but so. But the point well, is, you okay. like this film and I don't. That's right. I really like this film, and and the audience is pretty close to the critics actually on the tomato meter. Fifty four percent liked it in the audience; only forty eight percent of the critics liked it. Um, let's see if I can find a uh, rotten review here. Uh, uh, okay, here we go. Too much of the film is mired in the bleak, gritty world of Hollywood medieval grunge. Have filmmakers never looked at medieval art? They had pretty colors back then. I'm almost certain. <laughs> I, I think that really completely misses. Oh, come on! Yeah, even the Wizard of Oz has an extended sequence where you know, as you're going through the woods with lots of life by growing trees, there are drab colors and there's no leaves. I mean, therefore, do we criticize the Wizard of Oz that something was unbelievable because there wasn't any greenery? Yeah, I. <laughs> uh, but after all. It was part of the nuance of the Snow White film. That was actually something that I got. That, I mean, did he miss the dialogue early on? Well, he seemed th- this, and again, I just I just picked a random review out of here on Rotten Tomatoes that that was a uh, rotten. Um, he, I think he kind of missed the whole thing. This is a fairy tale. This isn't necessarily medieval, although it's it certainly looks a lot like that. It's a fairy tale. It's 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 not yeah, real. Does he does he also expect you know the orcs of Mordor to get their hairs cut? You know. <laughs> Because exactly. they, they grow hair, should they get their hair cut too, like all other species? You know. Yeah. All right, well, let's dive in here a little bit. Um, budget was $170 million. Opening weekend was $56 million. It has gone on to a worldwide gross of $396 million. Uh, 300, yeah. So it's doing well. 
Um, you call that well? You wouldn't, wouldn't you? Three hundred. What, what did you say in total? It's gained. Uh, Three hundred ninety-six million. Holy mackerel! Yeah. Okay, so that's a lot better than the statistic of what it earned just in the box office. Yeah, sure. Uh, okay. The and, and and domestically, it has only made its money back. Yeah. Well, I, hmm. okay. No, no, no it, ha- it hasn't stats. quite domestically. It hasn't quite made its money back. Actually, I'm sorry. Right. That that's the one I'm looking at. But worldwide, but I, I, yeah, worldwide is what we agree that counts. Yeah. Sure. Um. So let's, I mean, let's, let's summarize this movie a little bit. It's a, uh, you know, let me do this. I'm going to read uh, just the first paragraph of Roger Ebert's review, which, by the way, he loved it. And, okay. uh, you know, of all the critics, I tend to like Ebert the most, and there's a, probably a reason why most people look up and respect him. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, there's some critics I just can't track with at all, but Ebert I usually track with well. Um, Snow White and the Huntsman reinvents the legendary story in a film of astonishing beauty and imagination. It's the last thing you would expect from a picture with this title. It falters in its storytelling because Snow White must be entirely good, the Queen must be entirely bad, and there's no room for nuance. The end is therefore predetermined, but oh, what a ride. Yeah, I mean, and I kind of see his point, too, with, with the, the storytelling, but I, I didn't quite feel that way about it, but um, I get what he's saying. And, I, you know, you knew that the Queen was going to, in the end, uh, die because she had to. She was evil. Um, and, and, uh, as far as the beauty, I, I felt like this is one of the more beautiful modern films that I've seen. I don't know how you felt about it. Yeah, I would agree. Though some of it's a bit like, you know, Candyland versus, you know, something really delicious. Well, you certainly. Know, just a, a little bit, a little bit of it, although it's very pretty is, is kind of artifice. Hmm. Okay. I'll, I'll go with that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what did you think of that really mean-looking troll? That was impressive. Yeah, I liked it. It was a good twist on a troll. And the, for the reason of the troll, and amongst other qualities about the the overall uh, visuals, I, I mean, since you brought it up, I really th- think that the overall visuals, in spite of the fact of feeling a little bit artificial, were very compelling, beautiful in the sense that they looked beyond beyond the quality of for instance lord of the rings at times oh the yeah troll in comparison to lord of the rings trolls was a knockout total knockout agreed um and 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 even when it was very dank a lot of the movie feels very drab dreary uh post-apocalyptic and it's like set in nature so nothing's growing strange things are happening you know <laughs> one of the strangest uh, images I think I've seen of any movie ever is in this movie when they show butterflies eating the carcass of a deer. Hmm. And, and, and it was like one of those passing things where the movie doesn't really make a big deal of it, but they were making the point early on that because the queen is alive and ruling that all of nature itself was impacted by her wickedness. So there was some point that he actually said something like nature had turned on itself. Everything that was like, it was a complete upheaval. Yeah. I don't know. I don't remember the exact words, but that idea was certainly in the Huntsman's narration or the guy who played the Huntsman did the narration at the beginning. And that was certainly in there, that idea that, that, and, and you could see it. I mean, they even showed things shriveling and dying after she became the queen Yeah, uh, and, and because of her evil power. Now, before we get too deep into the uh, the details, real quick, let's just take a back step here and relate this to people who haven't seen the film yet. 
Uh, what is this movie all about? What does it accomplish for you if you already know the traditional story of Snow White? Um, in a real quick gist of what Snow White and the Huntsman is, it is a twist on the fairy tale. It's the Huntsman who's ordered to take Snow White into the woods to be killed, and he ends up becoming her protector and mentor in a quest to vanquish the evil queen. So the Huntsman, who basically doesn't appear in every version of you know you know what i say every version what what am i what am i saying it doesn't appear in the disney version <laughs> it doesn't appear in the disney version at thank least, you at least not you you wouldn't i mean i think his character may be there if i boy, it's been a long time since i've seen the disney well, version but Hunt, isn't there someone yeah. that takes her out and is supposed to kill her right and then lets uh, her go yeah and he he was like nothing in the movie he has a very right. small role to play Right, and, and I think even in the original fairy tale, he had a bigger role than the Disney role, but he didn't have the same role that we see here. Right, and basically the huntsman in this movie is Thor wearing, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, Robin Hood's garments in extra, extra large. Yeah, and he lets his accent come through a lot more. Yeah, yeah, he does. Which well, I, is, I, that, I, is that all, totally his real accent? Is that I, really his? When I hear him speak, normally, that's what he sounds like. So I don't think he masks his accent. I, I kind of like that. Cool. Yeah, he does and a really then, good job of being an American when he's called to be, but, uh, you know. <laughs> hmm. Well, uh, yeah, now for a few other interesting details, um, th- this movie... Well, we ought to note that there was another Snow White movie that was released around the exact same time. Now, TG, have you seen that movie yet? I have not. It was called Mirror, Mirror, and we we probably should review that as soon as possible. Maybe okay. it's re- it, maybe it, when it, it's released, if it's not already released, because I heard that both of these films were liked by audiences that saw both. So one didn't cancel out the other. And this is funny to me that both of these were going on at the same time and had big names involved in the films. Um, but again, so let's not get this one confused. The most distinguishing factor... Uh, for Snow White and the Huntsman is that Snow White is played by Kristen Stewart. It's an action adventure. And, uh, you know, uh, Snow White is, uh, you know, she's on the offensive. That is probably the biggest twist about this version of Snow White versus the the traditional story. Snow White traditionally is the fair princess that is waiting for her hero to come and rescue her in, <laughs> right. every, in every crisis, in every situation. She's totally trusting. She's totally pure. She's innocent. And to a fault, she's, you know, what would you say? Just uh, too, uh, what do you call it? Too trusting. There's a word for that. Uh, naive. Naive. Thank you. And that's typical of traditional fairy tale or yeah, fairy tales like, you know, the classic, you know, red, white and the, uh, the, uh, the wolf, the big bad wolf. Thank you, Joe, the head up there, get words out of your mouth. <laughs> okay. So yeah. Um, yeah. Snow white and the seven dwarfs, all of them. Traditionally, these fair maidens are all naive and they, they're just asking for punishment. And then someone like a huntsman or the, uh, the woodsman or a prince comes along out of the blue who has really no tie to the girl rescues their life. And that person is either a father figure or the boyfriend to be. And uh, yeah, in the case of Snow White and the Huntsman, we have a serious deviation uh, from traditional fairy tale. And that is that the princess is not at all naive. She's very worldly wise and she understands where to draw the line. She's never persuaded by anyone that's evil in the film. 
Um, well, actually, what am I saying? There's one example, but I don't want to give that away because that is a big spoiler where she trusts somebody she shouldn't. Yeah, well, and uh, I mean, maybe we'll do it later, and it's certainly spoiled in the uh, review I wrote of it. But uh, yeah, we can... Oh, TJ, how could you? (laughs) I assume that... I always expect, and I assume anybody else would, that if you read a review of a movie, it's going to spoil it. So Mm, Yeah, you're uh, right. So anyway, uh, but we we can leave it for now. Um, You know, one of the things that I really liked, uh, I I don't think there's any dispute that uh, Charlize Theron is universally considered to be a much a, a very good-looking woman with allure and uh, uh what was it i said how was it i put it in my article i put it much more eloquently in my article but uh <laughs> <laughs> when you had lots of time to right when i had words. lots of time to consider my words uh she's considered to have beauty and and i don't think anyone would say that Kristen stewart exudes more beauty and allure than charlie theron uh, and <laughs> so I actually true. felt like that was a really good choice. I, I I felt like that was a really good choice, though, because the message here that we're sending is not that this beauty is all about what you look like. It's not necessarily all about that. It's not, and it's not that Kristen Stewart is a bad-looking girl, but just that she's not. You know, when 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 the mirror tells the queen there is one who's fairer than you, there's more to beauty than just being skin deep and i i actually really like that i have to totally agree and something that stuck out to me in a sort of a sort of a uh choralistic you know uh, there's a corollary to something that's almost spiritual there that you know outward beauty it could be superficial absolutely superficial in this queen's case it's all about deception and uh, her beauty is a outward sign of her deception. And in, yes. in, in a bizarre way, her beauty is actually an outward demonstration of how wicked she actually is. Yes, agreed. Um, it, it may not be it, apparent until you just see 30 seconds of her or right. less, maybe it, even three seconds of her. I mean, like she is really vile. She very movie. much is, yes. And in order to, I mean, she does very wicked and evil things in order to maintain her beauty. And that's what makes her one of the things that makes her so wicked and evil. And but it's almost the, as if the the reason why everything else the, the the nature around her is dying is because of the way she is, and because she and she even devours other young ladies' beauty. I guess you might say um, in this you know fairy tale mystical way, although very real and gritty, um, to maintain her beauty through magic. I, I want to save that uh, my comments for that point till <laughs> we get to the dislikes. But okay, <laughs> but but in in regards to uh, Kristen Stewart's performance as Snow White, I I would like to also comment that she isn't a shoe in for the fairest of them all. No, uh, she she would be strikingly you know cutish, pretty ish, uh, but you know, and in some ways ordinary ish. And again, we're talking about superficial physicality here. Right. And we're, you know, we're talking about the way the world considers beauty. I mean, um, the, the way most people would consider beauty. And that's kind of what I was saying in contrasting Charlize Theron, who is widely considered this great beauty, you know, and, and Kristen Stewart, who, you know, is just, she's fine. She's not a looker. You know, she's, right. she's, she doesn't turn heads the same way. 
<laughs> yeah, and and so if there's any lesson to be learned from the movie, it's that beauty is a warrior. You know, the the beautiful is someone who's courageous, someone who's bold and willing to do what they got to do. You know, what's tough? The person who is that which is most desirable is the person that exudes the quality of doing what's right or most valuable, important, selfless. And it, it, it's not really ever addressed in the film. And I wouldn't say it's very uh, well put in the film, but by the course of actions of the characters, they demonstrate that it's all about inward beauty, that what's, what should be praised, what should be valuable is inward beauty. And that was commendable considering how, uh, it didn't feel like they communicated that very well. And I have other issues with the movie on the mm. whole that make that, that make the, that really weaken that message. I felt like it was communicated fine, but um, you know, I, I do want to, while we're here, I want to comment and I, I made this point in my review, but it really bugs me enough that I want to make it again. And we're talking about it. Um, Kristen Stewart's performance here is, is just fine. And people even, even I've heard people giving her a bad rap in this film in the role, like, Oh, there she is. She can't do anything, you know? And she, she's often accused of being this emotionless person. Um, who she doesn't have a, like, um, you know, you see these memes that go around where there's the same picture of Kristen and it has like in, in, in six different quadrants of the meme and it'll say Kristen Stewart, happy Kristen Stewart, sad, Kristen Stewart, you know, you, you know, so, so, and it's the same picture with the same facial expression. And I find that to be really irritating. I felt like she uh, did very well in this role uh, and, and, and should have, by all rights, completely blew away that stigma. And she gets a bad rap, I think, because of the Twilight movies. And I think that's unfortunate. Hmm. Yeah. I, I've seen her in a few other th- uh, movies. Or you're, you're welcome to disagree clips. with me. No, 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 no. I have to agree that I think she's a capable actress. Um, I've seen her in a few other things where I was impressed with her acting. So if she's performing a certain way in this film, and it seems to come across as you know, lame and inconvincing, I think it has a lot to do with the direction of, well, the, the filmmakers, the, the directors. They, they obviously didn't want her to behave another way. Right. Well, I, I, I'll say this. Um, I found her performance in the first Twilight movie to be flat and emotionless, but not so in the movies thereafter that followed in Twilight, and certainly not Snow and, so in Snow White. And there were so many things that I hated about the first Twilight movie that um, I, I really came to the conclusion that it was the director. And, and I think it was an unfortunate thing for Kristen Stewart because she's given the bad rap now, uh, which yeah. I think she would, I think she would get anyway, just because so many people hate on the twilight series and she's associated with it. But that, you know, that's, that's the only point I wanted to make. It just, it just irritates me enough that I, I have to say something about it. Well, you know, we also got to ask, you know, are we talking about she's not expressive enough or does, is it that her character portrayed isn't emotional enough? Hmm. You know, if you think about Indiana Jones, you know, we just talked about last week, Raiders of the Lost Ark, catch our review. It's the last episode. <laughs> we talked about Indiana Jones not having a lot of character development, but that was also part of the the ilk that the movie was going for. They were trying to characterize the movie as something of a like a comic book episodic, you know, thing where you're you're not really getting close and personal to the characters, especially not the the main character. It's easier to get familiar with the leading lady and the supporting characters. 
than it is to get really, you know, connected to Indiana Jones. You really don't know what's going on in his mind. And as the movies got sequ- that movie got sequels, the sequels with Indiana demonstrated that Steven Spielberg wanted to show more and more emotion of Indiana Jones. That uh, that seemed to be something he wanted to explore and audiences wanted to see. But yeah. for a lot of people, Raiders of the Lost Ark is their favorite film of the three, and the fourth one doesn't exist. But in the first one, Indiana is not very expressive. You know, he has a few moments with a few witty lines, but he's he, he's not very expressive because his journey isn't very emotional. So therefore, he's what you can appreciate about Indiana Jones is mostly just how cool he is and how courageous he is and how quick thinking he is. And in the relation to this character with Snow White, I see the same thing. Her character in this role isn't supposed to be a, you know, mushy-gushy romantic. She's not supposed to be in the depths of despair. Her whole point is that she's on a mission, that she's really trying to save the world, that she's trying to counter the evil with good. And she realizes that for her times, she's got to be this warrior, you know, this warrior, warrioress, <laughs> warrior princess. And she, she can't, you know, be happy. She can, even when the, there's a circumstance later in the film, when they're essentially living and living off of a small paradise that still exists in the middle of the kingdom in, mm. in secret, that even there, she's just got peace. She's very peaceful. She's relaxed, but she can't take her mind off the evil outside her outside that place so she's not you know happy and jumping for joy and you know you know you know raising kittens and stuff like that you know (laughs) uh we want to talk about the huntsman a little bit well i always love a performance by that guy um what is his name <laughs> it escapes me. Chris uh, Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, I, w- I always love a good performance by Chris. I- I'm impressed with him from uh, the first role I ever saw him in as uh, Captain Kirk's father at the beginning of J.J. Abrams' Star Trek. Oh, was that Hemsworth? Yeah. I didn't know th- I- that. Was, that was before he bulked up to play Thor. And I, he I was have just to a confirm this because I don't man. believe you. Go ahead. Uh, continue. Uh, so Chris just knocked that tiny role out so of the he was. park. Look at and that. I, yeah, I was totally sold on him. I, I fell in love with that, that character in a very short amount of time. Yeah, I did too. Very, I, very emotional. And I, it was a tearjerker before sure. your 10 yeah. m- minutes into the film. And it had a lot to do with Chris's character as well as his performance. Um, since then, he's taken on these other big macho manly roles like Thor and this one as the Huntsman. And it's really cool. He does it really well, but I think he's a very talented actor. He's just not been given roles in films like these where he can really express his his true his true worth as an actor. But I, I thought he was fine. And if anything, he pretty much is Thor in Robin Hood's clothes. I mean, that's what he is. <laughs> he, there's, he, he's just he's just the same kind of gruff, rough and tumble guy who's, you know trying to make his way through life and i guess he's thor with a little bit of depression because his wife has died oh yeah i (laughs) i i really enjoyed uh him as the huntsman i I enjoyed the huntsman's character uh just 
you know, he like you said, he's very rough and tumble, uh, but there's there's a certain uh, sense to him, and and you know, there's a certain thing in him when he turned around and he saw the burning village of the, the women's village. The right thing to do was to go back, and that's what he did. Um, and I really appreciated that about him. Uh, mm. You know, but he certainly was uh, in in the depths of depression when we when we caught up with him. Uh, or rather when the queen caught up with him and, and uh, what, the one line that stands out that kind of just shows you where he was at uh, when the que- when the queen threatened him with death, he, he sort of leans forward as the, his captors are holding him by the arm, pointing spears at him and says, do me the favor, I beg of you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I really, really enjoyed him as, as the huntsman. I, I don't mm-hmm. know what else to say. I just, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Hey, real quick, I just want to note one other good thing about the film, and then we'll move on. Unless you had more, a lot more to say. I don't. Okay, so, well, lastly, I just wanted to say, um, in spite of the dislikes I have for this film, I felt like many times this fantasy world was very believable. Like, I could really, I, I thought that was a rhyme and reason to the things that I understood that were at play. That I was like, oh, cool. That's a nice convention for an ulterior, alternative world. I could buy that in another universe. Yeah. And so, um, some of the convention, the conventions they held to, like the queen is so evil that the kingdom is weird, and you know, nature has turned on itself. I think some people couldn't buy buy into that, but I, I did, and I was like, wow, that's actually a pretty well executed fantasy, con- you know, trick. And yes. So things like that, I thought, were just straight up well done in this film i i got i get a good kick out of it even down to some of the (laughs) the silliness of seeing you know woodland creatures you know hopping about snow white in the forest when everything is nice and wonderful and cuddly and you know the it, it shouldn't have worked it should not have been a scene that worked in the film to see all these animals you know hang out hanging out with each other in total peace, you know, and stuff like that. It happens for a brief moment in the film and there is some weirdness to it, but even so it really worked. And that was something I thought that he succeeded in executing. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, real quick, we, sh- we can move on to your dislikes, but real quick, I do want to address mine because then I'm going to have to counterbalance your major negativity as you go on and on and wax eloquent with our remaining seven minutes about right. how horrible this film is. Um, <laughs> right ahead. So, you know, one thing that I felt that this film really did a poor job with was character development at times. Uh, I, I, I felt like the film was a little bit, the relationships were a little bit rushed. Um, you have characters swearing, you have the dwarves swearing allegiance to Snow White when they barely met her. Um, you have this chemistry that's developed between the Huntsman and Snow White. It, it, it developed so quickly that it was not believable. Um, and, and I felt like, you know, it is a two-hour format, but you can address that in ways by making time pass more quickly, by making it feel like the time has been passed, where they very much, this happened within the course of a couple days. Um, and uh, it, it, they should have allowed for more time to have passed to, for that chemistry to be realistic and believable. On that note, you're talking acting, which is... Um it has to be weighed with screenplay. Oftentimes, no, the director... No, I'm, I'm, I'm mainly talking screenplay and director. Oh, okay. Uh, so, you, you, so you wouldn't attribute this to the actors and their potential Not their at all. Talent. I just yeah. felt like there was the director did not give us enough time 
you know, there are cinematic ways. There are there are ways in films to to make chemi- to make time pass so that you can see that chemistry has been developing. But the 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 course of events took place within a couple of days. And so right. that was just very unbelievable that this chemistry developed so quickly. I, I, I didn't I felt like it was poorly executed. Well, on that note, it kind of returns to our, you know, the comparison between television shows and the movies. In many ways the the way it was directed, the screenplay and the lines, the way they were delivered, the time that they afforded the characters to develop felt more like a television show. But even in television shows, they know that they'll have more episodes to come so they can explore things and more nuance in a later episode. Exactly. This was yes. like watching the pilot episode of a new world, a ser- you know, a world series, a new world in a series of Snow White. And yeah. all you're getting is the pilot show. So well, they have to cram and, and you know it all what? in. Except, and except at the end, they defeated the queen. You know what? This would have made a great miniseries. Exactly. It would have made a great miniseries. But of course, um, they, they yeah, they would have they, never gotten yeah. actors like these. But even so, there's ways in a two-hour format to do that better than they did. Um, the, the one other thing that I, I found irritating was the way that, that Snow White was brought back to life with the kiss. But it's like neither of them knew that that's what did it. And I found that really irritating. Yeah, like well, like no one had told them, and there there was no there was no book or guideline on the subject of the matter. Right, and and you know this this film did a great job, I think, in staying away from the hackneyed and overused plot contrivances, as I said in my review. I'm borrowing from myself. Uh, I did a great job of staying away from those things, but I felt like here we could have used a little more of the standard plot where the kiss revise her and and they you know what i'm saying uh and instead he walks away and then she kind of revives and and it's just it was kind of a letdown yeah because if you were unfamiliar with the snow white story then when you saw that you may not have attributed her waking up to the kiss you would just you would have just figured oh well looky there strangely she just came out of her coma amazing how could how convenient is that all right, well, yeah. we've got like three minutes if we want to keep this under an hour, which is never going to happen. Uh, okay, yeah. Uh, we got three minutes for you to tell us what you didn't like about this film. Well, for some of the same reasons that I disliked the movie Red, which was a movie oh, adaptation no, of the no, story. Oh, no, 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 Back up and take that back. <laughs> I'm sorry, TJ. You like some strange stuff. Oh, no, you, you hate strange stuff. <laughs> Continue. Well, Okay, you admit you like strange stuff. Okay. No. <laughs> okay, but Red was just over the top, and it borrowed some that's... some of the worst elements from the Twilight movie. No, no, no. I, it was Stigma. over the top, but that's what I no, loved about I, I it. But stop talking about was... Red. I'm feeling the need to defend it. So <laughs> talk about Snow White. <laughs> okay, if films like Snow White and the other movie, um, they take some of the elements that I think aren't even true about a film that appeals to young adults like Twilight, and it amplifies them. Because there's this general consensus that this is what young women and young men and guys want, and they think it's cool and stuff like that. But I don't think those are true about a series like Twilight. But a general cheesiness and a a general overly paced film, too fast and suddenly slow, fanciful Uh, and, you know... Just eye candy, and then the I next didn't... moment it's just a weak story, and 
unexplained, irrational, you know, development of what is evil, what is good. I, I didn't know. take that away from this film at all. Did we watch the same film? Yeah. Yeah, dude. I just, I was like, what are they thinking? Even when I was about f- five minutes into the film, all the way to the end. Huh? So here, here real quick. Um, I think that movies like this one are trying too hard to be different from their their uh, source material. Had they been more faithful to uh, the traditional Snow White story, not the Disney classic, I'm just saying, you know, more consistent with um, a traditional representation of Snow White, I think we would have had a much more engaging film. But mm. because it didn't try to pay true respect to its roots who does it appeal to it doesn't appeal to an older audience that knows and loves the classic snow white story it appeals to a whole new generation that wants to rebel that just wants to assume again like so many movies that the older people are wrong they're evil the adults are out to get you the salvation comes from youth it comes from you know the child the innocent is only that the child the older are dumber, weaker, and they need guidance. It, it felt like that all over again. Mm. Um, that which is like so typical, typical of Hollywood films and television, everything. Um, then there was also the dwarves. They came late in the film, which okay, when they finally came, I was like, wow, they are really giving them some attention now. For coming in as late as they did into the movie, it felt as though they probably wouldn't give them all that much time, but then they did. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, the, the dwarves are getting some real screen time. But then as it turned out, I couldn't understand 20% of anything they said. Their dialogue was horribly communicated. They had these horrible, like, you know, accents. I just could not understand what they were saying. And they gave them whole scenes where they're jabbering. And I had no idea what the dwarves were saying. <laughs> Hmm. Uh, okay, so then uh, a lot of the fantasy really wasn't explained. So, uh, and then some things that they decided to explain about the queen, I didn't care to know about. Oh, we might should mention, we're actually not reviewing the theatrical release of Snow White and the Huntsman. This is the extended cut that I saw. Yeah, it's not, it's not. There's nothing to tell, though. Oh, is there? Okay. I, no, so there really the same, wasn't that it's much the difference? It's the same film. There, there was some minor extended scenes. It's the same okay. film. But as it was, there were things that I was just like, oh, <laughs> I felt like they just didn't explain very well. And then there was a lot of unoriginality. Like, at times, they decided to blatantly rip off things like uh, Lord of the Rings, um, things like the Troll ended up having a nice twist, but for the majority of the very brief fight with the troll and how it was characterized, it was a ripoff of trolls from Lord of the Rings. And then scenes like when they actually meet with the dwarves and they're coming into the nice serene woods, it was like at the same point in time that in the Fellowship of the Ring, the fellowship comes to, Riv- uh, is it Rivendell? No, Lothlorien, where the Lady Galadriel is. And all of a sudden, right. everything is peaceful, serene. We stop our, our hurried expedition to, to lay down in the gr- tall grass and commune with nature for a few minutes. <laughs> and, and, but it was just like Lothlorien, except that Lothl- in Lothlorien, there was a very obvious point as to why they took that break. In this movie, it wasn't exactly clear 
why they didn't sense any danger for where they were and why they had stopped to hobnob with these dwarves in such a peaceful environment that was so utterly exposed. Um, so there were some things like that that I just didn't understand. They weren't explained. And then uh, very fast paced. Like they weren't intended to reveal anything new to the characters or to develop the characters. Scenes like that nice little serene patch of the woods were developed just to provide new eye candy and relief from the very dark, dank woods that you spent most of the movie in. Um, and then the, things were just poorly paced. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm carrying on here. But things were poorly, poorly paced when they introduced one particular character. He's a friend of the princess. He is introduced as a young uh, rebel He's trying to uh, to fight the forces of the queen, so he 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 and a small band of men raid the queen's men in the woods, sack them, you know, burn, you know, destroy their their tools, kill these men in the woods, very Robin Hoodish, very uh, very heroic, but it was like very canned, it was very fake, it was forced, it was way too fast. To introduce this character in a very short amount of time as a fighter and it it, it, it was like on cue the I, guy the guy's name is mentioned by his father and then just like that we see him fight and win and then we go back to the father who says oh, and he i should expect my son to come to me any moment now it was things like that that were just machismo yeah, for I, filmmakers pace i i only agree with that a little bit i will give you a little bit of that but now a lot of these shortcomings, the, my last remark will be that a lot of these shortcomings have to be taken with a grain of salt because uh, most of these are shortcomings of fantasy movies in general. Mm. Um, it seems to be that filmmakers think that the fantasy genre is a place where they can make all the mistakes and they can get away with them. That, typically, that's, that, that's their approach. And uh, unfortunately, oftentimes filmmakers approach the action genre the same way that they don't have to be believable that they don't have to afford um re real drama that they can just be campy they can be stupid they can have dumb development bad writing and they can get away with it because after all you're in it just for the joyride and the explosions but <laughs> after all why is it that indiana jones is one of the best you know dramatic action films and series of all time because there's a lot more to it there's some there's some undercurrents there there's some there's some real story um so the, it's a it's a decent halfway decent um adventure so so with uh oh and so that's all that's basically all my complaints but okay. tj i wanted to make one other observation going back <laughs> to something that i actually like about the film okay. i just remembered uh i brought up the action adventure quality and uh, action and adventure genre. I'm really disappointed with action films these days, with the exception of things like some superhero movies. Or but, red. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so, but something that seems quite mysterious to me and effective about uh, fantasy movies is that oftentimes when they try to execute over the top action, I think that they can get away with it legitimately. I think that they can get away with it legitimately. Because when you're already dealing with a fantasy world where they have trolls 
and men who typically swing around uh, double-sided axes, when they break out into a fight and they do some action and they have some crazy, you know, magic wand that they can wield around that, you know, casts light on dark, you know, creatures and suddenly, you know, scares the dark creatures away, you know, they can get away with that kind of crazy action you know, that stuff. And it comes across as very moving and very, well, as far as inside of the scope of their universe, very believable. But in real world action films that typically show off macho looking cars and, you know, robbing a bank vault, blowing up a, you know, prison, you know, guys riding off of a cliff that's, you know, 40 stories tall, crazy action scene stuff, right? It seems like uh, real-world action genre stuff just doesn't work anymore. It's too over-the-top, and it's too silly. It's too fantastic and sensational. But they can get away with that kind of level of sensationalism in a fantasy, and I'll believe it. So that I'm saying that to say, for Snow White and the Huntsman to do what they did, they did some clever stuff with animation. With broken glass, Definitely. like by yes. magic, you know, reforging into, um, you know, f- by dark forces, turning into like uh, monsterish broken glass humanoid figures that attacked, you know, the the good soldiers and the good and the good knights to try and fight them off, you know, by the evil forces. When they did, when they did fantastical stuff in this film, it, it often worked. It often paid off. But even so. <sighs> Ultimately, none of this felt like it was better than TV-level storytelling. And it was way too much story congested into too short a period of time. And the the story was not there. So, okay. I'm sorry. Well, I just want to say I think it's a little bit too much story crammed into too short a period of time. Uh, and, and, I, and as I said, I think there were ways that they could have addressed that. So, I, I give you that a little bit. Um, I do think, I, I feel like you're missing... Um, a lot of the allegorical nature of some of the stuff that you were complaining about. Um, and, and this is why I wanted to get my brother-in-law on the podcast, because he really, uh, really sees that sort of thing. And I, I don't see it quite as much as he does. But, um, you know, uh, we're, we're going to agree to disagree. I, I really enjoyed this movie. I gave it a four-star rating, and I hold to that. Um, I r- highly recommend it. It is an awesome movie. And what was your star and, and, and rating? What was your star rating again? Four stars out of five. Four stars. Wow. I, I just didn't know if I'd really heard that right. <laughs> I, I, I would give it, I'd give it two out of five. Uh, well. And, and um, that's more than I gave Red. You, you're incorrigible. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, um, you know, Joseph, one thing we didn't talk about, and so we'll talk about it right here on the air real quick, is um, what we're going to review next week. And do you know what I want to review next week? Uh, Jaws? No. <laughs> um, there is a DVD, a home entertainment release, coming up on September the 25th, the day before we record. But you and I should be so familiar with the movie that we'll be able... We already know what we want to say about it. We'll just want to watch it to have it fresh in our heads. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know which you know what movie's releasing on the twenty fifth to home entertainment? <laughs> Not a clue. <laughs> you are bad geek. Bad geek. Avengers. <gasps> okay, good. Let's, yeah. You want to talk about Avengers? 
Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Of course. Now, this is a movie I'm pretty sure you and I can both uh, love on this film. Definitely. Yes. Uh, we'll, we'll reserve our star ratings. I want to watch it one more time before I give it a star rating. I'm pretty sure I know what I'm going to give it. Uh, but uh, and, and I'm going to have some fun with this one, dig up some stuff I don't know. We'll have some interesting trivia. I promise that we will tell you a few things you didn't know. Okay. I, I don't know if I'll approach it from that angle, so that'll be good to have from you. Um, I will say this. I expect that podcast to go long. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I have no problem with an extended episode. Yeah, it's so worthy. hopefully we're warning our we're, we're warning you, our listeners, ahead of time that this this could be the Avengers could be one that we don't want to we don't want to edit ourselves too much on that one. So I feel like this film, as much as I love it, um, I'm 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 cutting us short a little bit just because uh, you know our, our episodes are so long anyway. So all right. Uh, one other thing I want to mention, I uh, I am in talks right now to start another podcast, and so I want to I want to plug the network a little bit. It is the Good Shows Network. Uh, friend of mine, uh, Alex Arena, has asked me to do another podcast with him. Uh, this will be uh, a focus a little more on TV shows and more like a like a, a TV show book club kind of thing. Uh, it's going to be called In the Queue. At least that's our tentative name. And so nice. uh, look for that on uh, GoodShows.co. Uh, and uh, so hopefully we can get some good cross-network uh, thing going there. So uh, look for that on goodshows.co. Uh, in the queue, we'll be hopefully getting that started very soon. So, uh, all Ooh. right. How cool is that? Yeah, wow, I th- I think a it's pretty spin-off. Cool. Yes. Like a spin-off. Well, I don't know if I'd call it a spin-off, but uh, anyway, some cross-pollination there. So, Well, no, uh, it is a spin-off because you're a character in this show, and you're going to be a character <laughs> in the other show. Okay, well, there you go. It's a spin-off. Uh, but that, yeah, so, um, look for that show. Joseph, you know, uh, as much as I disagree with you, I enjoyed, uh, reviewing Snow White with you. Thank you very much. So where can, where can people, where may they keep up with your wanderings on this, uh, worldwide web thing? Yeah. Okay. Um, they can catch me on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Joseph Darnell. I have no funny nicknames or random, you know, congested words to come up with something half crazed or witty i'm just joseph darnell you can catch me at twitter.com uh, slash uh, joseph darnell and on facebook if you wanted to catch me there it's just uh, josephdarnell.com it'll take you right me uh, to my profile right. and my personal site where i talk about tech design creative thought um, inspiration stuff for the professional creative i um and apple tech news i that that site is jivingjackalope.com all right. And uh, I also have a website uh, other than Movie Byte that I write things on occasionally. It's buzzingpixel.com. I'm on Twitter, TJ Draper Pro. I could not get TJ Draper. Don't know who that guy is, but I'm TJ Draper Pro. I'm the professional. So you can catch me there on Twitter. I'm also on Facebook, t- facebook.com slash TJ Draper. And uh, hopefully soon I'll be on goodshows.co and you can uh, catch me there. So did you happen to get the real TJ Draper.com? Uh, tjdraper.com. Yeah, that's that's my web- website, tjdraper.com. Oh, oh yes. okay. Gotcha. Uh, my Twitter handle, I could not get TJ Draper. I don't know who TJ Draper is. Oh. All right, Joseph. Well, I'm looking forward to reviewing the Avengers next week. Quite. All right. Well, have a good evening. All right. You too, TJ. Thanks, All man. Right.